Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Information Playground. Uh, you're coming, uh, you're listening to us. Uh, if you're listening to us on the radio, it's probably WVLP. That's an excellent little community radio station in Valparaiso, Indiana. They do a great job in the community. And uh, they've been struggling through this time of COVID-19, as we all have. Um, they're, doing, uh, they're doing a great job. And I'd love it, love it if, you, if you live in that area or you're interested in being part of the community, check out their website, wvlp.org. Um, you can find them on the FM radio at 103.1. If you're listening to us on demand, the Information Playground is on all the, uh, all the podcast platforms that I'm aware of, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcast, uh, Google Podcast, you name it. We're also on YouTube. And if you're watching us, that's how you're, you're catching us. Uh, the Information Playground is, uh, is dedicated to educating our listeners and things that are happening um, in our day, often uh, of a technological nature, but not always. Today, I have uh, a, a special guest, Larry Young. He's the owner of Boiling Frog Development and Business Development Strategy and Sales Training Organization, as well as the author of Walk the Sales Plank. Larry works with small to mid-sized businesses on understanding how their dream clients or how they make buying decisions today. And then he helps to position their organization and sales staff right in the middle of their target market. We've had him on several times, but now we're going to see how he's helping organizations through the crisis and helping them to position for massive growth. So uh, welcome, Larry. It's great to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Ron. I appreciate it. I always appreciate it when you're on. I know you've worked with businesses for a long time, and you've helped a lot of them through several crises, but tell us about your background. Yeah, so a lot of my uh, career, I was in the in the banking world as a senior executive, and really on the commercial banking side. So I had the privilege of being able to work with commercial customers, which are kind of business banking clients, small, small to mid-sized businesses. And watching them, uh, watching them grow. The interesting thing that uh, Ron, that I was able, that I think was it was a privilege, is I could be sitting in a location as an example and have, let's say, as an example, two engineering firms, and and uh, both of them, the you know, that that serve the same clients and had the same size of people, but one would just thrive while the other just barely survived. And over the course of that, you know, a couple decades, I took a lot of notes and I learned a lot and I asked from these business owners, you know, a lot of the things that made them difference. And it was a privilege to kind of get to learn that. I think when I formed the company Boiling Frog three years ago, it was based on the parable of the boiling frog, which is we don't always recognize that our environment has changed. We just stay doing what we've always been doing. And then that, of course, becomes our demise. And so now I get to work with clients to be able to kind of help them through the business strategy and help teach them those principles that I learned of the businesses that thrived in the past. And that's kind of what I, I share with those clients. Well, that's great. So we're, we're dancing all around COVID-19. How does this crisis differ from other, other crises that you've seen? Yeah. I, <clears throat> so being in this business for quite a while, I've been able to see, you know, obviously the the 2000 uh, recession, which was really kind of the dot-com bust, if you remember that back in the day. Very and well. that was one of those where um, obviously over fundamentals and things of that nature, and that caused kind of a correction at the turn of our century or turn of our yeah, century. 
2008, as we're very familiar, that's still fresh on a lot of our minds, was the housing crisis. So both of these were these recessions were because fundamentals were starting to deteriorate, and then of course that caused businesses to start to struggle. But I, it was almost like a, a slow death, if you will, not for everybody, but for some, where you could kind of see it coming and work its way out. I think, Ron, where this one's different, I think what businesses are trying to grapple with is this one happened so fast. You know, the fundamentals of the economy, generally by and large, were very strong, but then a, a, a third party source, if you will, for lack of better words, enters into our economy and shuts everybody down. And so the lagging on the economy and the struggle that the businesses are having are an after product or an after effect of that. I mean, you look at my business, I know we've talked off, you know, off camera, if you will. And I mean, I'm like most businesses where one week I'm talking to somebody about signing a, a contract for the year in 2020. And then a week later, they're saying, well, it's all on hold and we're quarantined. That's how fast that happened. And I think that's one of the biggest differences. So we're not as prepared or people aren't as prepared for it. You know, I appreciate that. I was in a conversation earlier uh, today and um, the, the person that I was talking to pointed out that Google is pretty astute on things that are going on. Yeah. David, uh, they've uh, notified all their employees that uh, at least as they can, they'll all be working from home until yeah. the summer of next year. Now that, I didn't, I'd heard that before, but it didn't put, I didn't put the dots together, I guess. I mean, do they know something? That's a year from now. Yeah. Um, are we still going to be dealing with this a year from now? Is it just being cautious? Um, I don't know. I don't want to read something in the, to, that isn't there. I don't want yeah. to read anything into it. At the same time, you know, it's conceivable. I, I hear people say we've got to wait until a vaccine's developed. And they're pegging that at, at next year. Some, sometimes uh, I hear it's the mid-year and other times I hear it's the end of 2021. Right, right. Well, um, it's an interesting comment that you make because, you know, I, I spoke to about 40 business owners in Phoenix. This would have been in early March. And so this is when this all was really fresh. And we were talking about how to find revenue in a crisis, you know. And it's interesting that the conversation then, how much has just changed four months later, yeah. not only that, but how businesses now I'm seeing them reinvent themselves, pivot and do different things, you know, and you're starting to see that, unfortunately, that thrive versus survive. So you're right on, Ron. Yeah. And, and, and you're right on as always. As a business owner, what we've got to do is we can't just sit there and wait for conditions to change. Yeah. So how can you find revenue in this crisis or any other, but especially this one, and how can you reinvent your business? How can you, how can you change? How you, pivot is a popular word. How can you do that? Yeah, so, so one, of the, one of the strategies, what I tell people like when, I, when I'm doing the business development strategy is first, you know, know who you are. So one of the first things you want to do now, I'll seem like I talk out of both sides of my mouth for a second, but there's a point to it. So a lot of times we as business owners have several different income sources and the first is to really fundamentally understand what, what is the most profitable aspect of my business? What is the thing that I do that makes the most money? What is the core of my business? And of course, how do I protect that? And so when you're trying to grow revenue, one of the fastest things to do is to not lose revenue, as goofy right. as that sounds. But then there, there's, a, there's a point in there, and, and we can get into this deeper at some point, but 
once you've established that and you've cared for your customers and you're answering those questions, you may, some businesses may have to kind of pivot and be able to either offer ancillary services to those customers or be able to use that service that they do so well, that core function of their business for other types of like type clients, ones that maybe are essential that are still going. I'll give you a really good example. So I told you I had that conversation. So this is about two and a half, three months ago. It was right, in the, right when the coronavirus was hitting and I was doing some consulting with a construction company and I asked them, I did my research and you can see they started from a handyman all the way to kind of a full service construction, you know, remodel type thing. And so I got them on the phone, the same kind of conversation. They said, to, you know, they said, well, how do we find revenue? How do we grow? And so I started asking them, you know, what is your core business? What is the piece that, that not only are you the most profitable at, but you kind of dominate in your industry? And the answer is what I get from most business owners when we first start, when I first start working, it's, well, everything. I'm great at everything. And the, well, no, 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 you're not, you know, so to speak. No, I'm not that harsh, but it's really, are you really that great at everything or are there some things that you just like to do? So as we started to try to kind of move through this, I said, well, what's your most profitable segment? What's the most profitable thing you do? If you do all this remodel stuff, he goes, well, selling a water heater is one of our most profitable. And so I said, okay, well, how many water heaters do you sell? You know, he goes, well, about one a month. Okay. That's not a, that's not a business. That's an ancillary business. Right. And of course a water heater, I mean, you can't cold call people and sell a water heater. They're going to wait till it's broke. Okay. So let's, let's back to back the train back up. And what is it that you really do? And, and what, what we finally came to to make a long story short is their kitchen remodels are one of their most profitable. They're the biggest ticket items, the most profitable because it takes expertise, which this business possessed. And so now it's a matter of, well, how do we do this? So my, my comment, not I, this was a long challenging process, but at the end, what I said is how do you have a database of clients, you know? And they said, well, yeah, we've got an email list of about 3000 clients that we've had over the time. I said, now's the time to reach out to them. You think about it, everybody's sitting with coronavirus, everybody's quarantined in Arizona. So now you start noticing the cracks in the ceiling and the, and the, the paint coming off the cupboards and hinges that aren't working and tile, blah, blah, blah. I said, wouldn't this be a time to kind of reach out to those 3000 clients and let them know you'll follow protocols, but you can do that type of stuff. And that's what they did. So at the end of the day, the first place to start is to know what you're great at. And that's where I spend a lot of time with clients on. So, so let's stay with that for just a moment. Um, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about your example, the construction company. We've all heard Home, Home Depot, Lowe's, um, all the big, the big companies, big box stores are doing well right now for the, mm -hmm. the very reason that you mentioned. Um, you know, people are sitting home, they notice the cracks, it's time to fix things up. And it's time to maybe call in someone to do the heavy lifting, like kitchen yeah. remodel. But what about if you're not in that industry? What if you're, um, uh, let's, say, uh, let's say you're a, a sole practitioner, uh, and that could be an attorney or a doctor. Or let's say that, uh, and actually, let's take them one at a time. Let's start there. Let's start with healthcare, because I, I know a lot of people that are afraid to go visit the dentist. They're afraid to go visit the doctor. You know, a bunch of sick people there. Mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of stuff. If, how do you, keeping the social distancing, um, 
re regulations or requirements as they may be, how do you keep that? How do you market yourself so that your books are filled? And maybe they're not struggling with it, but uh, after that, let's visit the attorney. Yeah. I see on the uh, on TV. I see commercials. Uh, some attorneys are offering visitations over uh, over your iPad, over yeah. the internet. Yeah. Um, are there other things you can do, especially attorneys? So let me quit asking the question and let's give you. No, a chance that's, that's to okay. Um, and again, just for the diversity of your audience, you know, I I think the easy answer. This is where people roll their eyes with kind of the dub, but I mean. Virtual has such uh, such a more powerful effect now than it did before. I mean, six months ago, we kind of scoffed at the idea of, of not telemedicine because that's been around, but the idea of, of being able to do an exam with your iPhone, you know, with a doctor there. Uh, real estate agents selling property now with 3D virtual image. There's a there's an industry that's blowing up. People come in and, and film it 3D wise and be able to show a house um, I, I'm giving you a bunch of examples here, but the, um, uh, what did I see? Was it Cadillac or something that has a commercial out and they got the car salesman in there doing the drive with the phone and the people are buying online like, hey, lay back in your seats. <laughs> so the easy answer on is you're going to have to figure out either how to follow social protocols if you're the attorney or the health medicine, or you're going to have to figure out how to do it virtual. Uh, when I was in Phoenix, um, um, uh, and the internet goes out one morning, of course, the, my two boys are going nuts, right? You'd think it was Armageddon then, you know, there was no Wi-Fi. So uh, Cox comes out, you know, and, and he's like, I can't come in the house. And so there the guy is. I'm, I'm on my phone, on my, my phone, and he's standing there around the corner while I sit there and try to fix my Wi-Fi. And so the answer, and same with, um, I told, I was consulting somebody in the HVAC world. Now, I can't fix my air conditioner, but are there maintenance things that I can do with a phone and FaceTime or Zoom where I can do that? And so very simply put, you're going to have to figure out how to either social distance or you're going to have to learn how to do them virtually. Excellent. And that's how now, you succeed. Yeah. Now, you were commenting before the show that it's important to be seen by your customers and prospects at a time like this, but you had an interesting take on this. Would you share? Yeah, so the, um, um, what, what, what we were talking about before is, is that there was this really neat idea when the, when the virus broke out, you know, everybody would send these emails. So you get one maybe from your, from your healthcare provider, you know, here's an update on COVID. And before long, your, your, your gym is sending you the same thing. And I mean, it's, it's like all this AT&T, all of a sudden everybody's an expert in sending me emails on coronavirus. Right. So then, the, so now everybody's standing around while I'm trying to find revenue. So the natural thing is to go out and start reaching out to your clients and, and, and doing, I've heard people do like wellness checks, you know, kind of that, Ron, how you doing? And now don't, don't throw me out or throw me out of the truck here, so to speak, but <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. There, there, there's nothing wrong with calling your clients and building reports saying, how you doing? I'm here, you know, that type of thing. At the end of the day, though, our conversation today is around growing revenue. So wellness checks are nice, but what you really need to do is be reaching out to your clients. And here's probably one of my biggest strategies is find out what problem they're facing today. So simply calling and saying, Ron, how you doing? You know, just that type of thing. And being able to say, Ron, where are you at right now? Like, what problem are you trying to solve today? Which, if you think about it, that's how we kind of started our conversation off earlier, right? Before, yeah. we, before we got online. You know, what are you trying to solve today? What are you trying to do? 
Now, if I go back to my original point, if you know what your core business is and what you can do well, you might be able to alter or you may have the team or resources to be able then to, you know, help them solve that problem. And I found um, um, people having great success with this. I was consulting somebody who done, did a lot of social media and, and things and, and kind of that content marketing for nonprofits. Well, nonprofits by and large are kind of shut, not shut down, they're working very hard, but funding, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to find that type of piece because people aren't employed and that type of thing. And so the, the, the comment was, look, you're incredibly talented. Your core business isn't nonprofits working to nonprofits. Your core business is media strategy and content. And the question I challenged them with is, don't you think that there's for-profit businesses out there that need those services today? The ones that are open, the ones that are still engaged in business, that are finding ways to work with their clients, you know, with the social distancing, don't you think they need messaging? And so the strategy was to go back. And what I, what I, what I told her was, how many of your board members that you had success, old clients, nonprofit, that had board members that are business owners that are trying to survive? She's like, tons of them, thousands of them. I said, then you now have a prospect list. You have the ability to reach out to these people and find revenue by saying, you know, I helped you with helped uh, XYZ nonprofit, well, you know, uh, a year ago with your messaging on, let's say, a new building campaign. Mm -hmm. And now um, I'm finding that business owners like you are trying to get the message out to your customers. How about we solve the problem together? And now this young lady is starting to pick up some business just by proactively going out, solving something she did. She's great at, but to a different market. That's a great just idea. Thought. Yeah. So, so let's, um, let's do a couple of, uh, of scenarios here. Um, so we've got two, I guess, two main sources that we are sources of revenue we want to look at. Um, one's going to be your existing clients. The other's going to be prospective clients. Mm -hmm. So um, pick up the phone, um, say that you're, say that you're a CPA. Um, you're, wanting to do um, maybe that ancillary revenue we've talked about is uh, audits. Okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's, that's a, a game changer for you. So now you pick up the phone, your existing client, you know, it's been a while since we audited your books. Uh, uh, it's the time of year we need to do it. Maybe it's semi-annual. Uh, we actually should have done it in June. Now it's August. We need to, we need to do this. Your client comes back and says, well, you know, I, I appreciate that, but you know, I'm I'm debating whether I'm going to have to lay people off next month. I don't I don't know that I can afford you to come and do an audit right now. How do you respond to an existing client like that? Yeah, those are those are always a bit of a challenge. Now, this will seem like I'm I'm trying to get out of your answer the easy way, but we all have to understand when we're in business. Sometimes when we're calling out to help somebody with a problem, mm -hmm. we can't solve every problem. So right. the answer you give me, Ron, I mean, I've unfortunately doing what I do, I've been talking to people in the last four months and say, I've got one month of income left. You know, there's, that's just tough, right? I mean, yeah. if, if you got to lay, if someone's got to lay people off, I mean, there's an authentic caring piece that has to be there for them. But is there something else um, uh, bookkeeping work or something that in there in your example that you could pick up if they have to lay people off that you could do 
uh, at, a, at a cheaper rate until they get back on their feet. Uh, not that I really want to go the cheap route, but right. is there something that you can do that would help them be more efficient? But at the, end, uh, at the end of the day, what I typically tell them is, Ron, you tell me what problem you're trying to solve. I'm in accounting, per your example. Uh -huh. What is it that you're trying to solve and how can I help you become more efficient and collaborate together? And again, some problems you just can't solve. You know, I, I really like that response and I'll tell you why. Because at the end of the day, some, and some clients, now we're talking existing clients, you've got a relationship uh, with these people. You've, they're, I don't know about, you know, in larger enterprise companies, you can't say that all your clients are your friends. In the smaller business, you usually can. I know I can. Yeah, yeah. These are people that I've worked with many times for years, some in, in a few cases uh, over decades. And so, uh, you know, when I, when I approach them and they give me an answer like that, my response is if there's something I can do at cost, if there's something that I can do that will help them through this, um, you know, that's the right thing for a friend to do. It's the right thing for, yeah. for anyone to do if they can, if they care about them. And I care about my clients. The other thing is, and this is not going to be as genuine, sound as genuine as I would like it, but you know, most people appreciate that. You help yeah. them out when they need it. Then when, when things are better, chances are they'll listen to what you were trying to get them involved with to begin with. There's, yeah. there's just two, two ways to look at it. And if you don't look at both sides, you're probably dishonest because both of those things are going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you, you help your friend out in a time of need as best you can, because you're right. You can't do everything. Can't give everything away. Otherwise, you're looking for a job. That's but at right. the same time, what you can do, you, you know, you do. And hopefully that'll be re either appreciated down the road or reciprocated, perhaps, but certainly appreciated. So I, I love the answer. What about prospects? These are people that you don't have a relationship with. Uh, maybe you don't know them as well. How do you approach them? Yeah, those are the easiest um, because, uh, well, easiest because that's where, that's kind of the playground that I play in, which is trying to grow our business through acquiring new, you know, new clients. But one of the fastest ways if you're trying to find revenue, I mean, you can, you can call, right? You can, you can go to your prospect list and call and ask the same thing. What problem are you trying to solve? There's a powerful thing that I used to do back in the day, and I still coach clients to do that, but go back and look at your pipeline. Look for what I call pipeline leakage. And so I always get a funny look at people when I say pipeline leakage, but the idea is what are the deals that I lost? It depends on your selling cycle, like your selling cycle might be 12 to 24 months to get the client that you're after. And so maybe you go back 24 months and what you're doing is you first start looking at the prospects that I'll use a sports analogy that you're right at the goal line, right? You're rushed all the way down the field with them and you were going to do something about right across the, the, the goal line. And now you got stopped and somebody else won the deal. These are great people to start with, because if you think about it, you already had the rapport, you already had the credibility, but for some simple nuance, you lost the deal. Those are your warmest prospects to go back. And the strategy that you use, Ron, is to call them and say, look, you know, I know we went after a Project A deal, you know, 18 months ago, and you went with someone else. I'm just curious, is your problem today the same as it was then? Is there something different that you're trying to solve? And you would be amazed at not only the thankfulness with them calling, the fact you followed up 
and 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 of course that you're already starting at a very good place because you had that rapport and credibility powerful powerful way to find new revenue and what you'll find is that all of a sudden you'll be surprised maybe the person that won the deal over you isn't taking care of them so i had a young lady do this uh, this was probably at the beginning of the pandemic we sat down and i said go through your pipeline so we went through her pipeline and we picked out five deals i said call them all we did this and so she calls all five of those and she calls you back a week later just giddy and she said well giddy in a way she said of the five that i called that i had lost the deal the person that won the deal you know the sales professional that won the deal hadn't even contacted them yet to see how they were doing what was going on and the cool part was is they that those companies decided to defer that project until 2021 because the pandemic was gone so those funds were still kind of there mm -hmm. allocated if you will and so they were able to brainstorm and come up with solutions that didn't exist when she lost the deal and now you know she's off with a couple of those and who do you think those people are going to remember when that when that thing renews next time that's it'll right. be her and that's a powerful way ron for people to find quick easy revenue oh that's excellent so so if you're focusing on deals in your pipeline customers prospects then it's is it best to cut price to get more business Typical consultant answer, but not always, or it depends, <laughs> right? We use the word depends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so here's, here's, here's what I encourage people to do. That, because the conversation today is how do we find, you know, more revenue? And, the, and one of the easiest or simple, I should say simplest ways to find revenue is to raise your price. And so usually I get kind of a, a funny look with that. But you remember, well, we probably don't remember it, but the 1973 recession was a really good example. And this is when uh, IBM came out at that time. And during that recession, they raised all of their prices because their mantra, this, now you probably remember this, is that that's where the saying came from that nobody gets fired for hiring IBM, if you've ever heard that, because they, <laughs> yes. they right, because, because, right, IBM is so strong and blah, 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 yeah. especially at that time. So here's what I advise clients to do. Don't go with the cutthroat, I'm gonna cut my price to get it. That's the easy tendency. The problem is, is it doesn't position you strong for when you survive and then you try to grow. Because you asked me at the onset, how do you, how do you find revenue and then create massive growth for the future? Uh -huh. And there was a study, I'm gonna get this wrong, but there's, uh, um, they looked at um, the 73, all the recessions up and through 2008. Companies, uh, uh, companies that cut their prices, there was, there was only a, like 11% of those run that ever returned to their previous glory when they studied these 4,700 companies. So then they, 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 they looked at, at companies that were able to just um, kind of cross or either just cross sell or those types of things. And it really wasn't actually that much more. What they found was the companies that figured out how to pivot and then be able to cut out of their organization uh, uh, areas or, or, or products and services that aren't profitable, when they use those two combinations, mm -hmm. that those were four times as likely to survive that those recessions. And so the, the message is you can't cut your way to massive growth in the future, right. and, you, and, and you can't just slash your expenses in your organization as, as a means to just survive. There has to be a balance. Cut out what's not working, 
and then price accordingly. So what I counsel businesses on is how can I actually raise my price in, in this time, but provide, provide more value in lieu of that. So you'll see companies that maybe can, maybe they add an extended warranty or more favorable terms. You know, you raise the price, but you give more favorable terms. Mm -hmm. um, you can do, you can do all sorts of things. Maybe you can add in a, a free service call or a free virtual consultation, you know, those types of things, but don't automatically go to cutting price. Here's what I've learned over 20 years is that if you can provide enough value for a client, you're never going to be beat up on price. So in theory, at a time like this, if you provide more value and better, better consulting, better information, better in your world, you know, better tools and techniques where you'll throw in sometimes, I don't know, it could be a guarantee or something like that, Ron. Mm -hmm. People will pay more for it because businesses that are doing well will do so. So oh, uh, now, now, now you get me on my soapbox when you ask me <laughs> about, about cutting prices because I'm not a big fan of that. That's not a that's not your initial go-to strategy. That's excellent. I appreciate that. You know, in a world where I think Walmart probably is one of the biggest names in retailing, they got that by being the cheapest. Mm -hmm. But you know, that may work for Walmart and it has, but I haven't seen it work for anybody else. There's one Walmart. Anybody yeah. else that's tried to go to the bottom line and cut their way to success has cut their way out of business instead that I've been aware of. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Just... We, we'd have to have a longer conversation, probably not for today, but there's businesses out there, Ron, that, that will focus on cost leadership. And that's just literally, that's what we're going to do. But for most of us, we're trying to provide value, right? You're trying to, you're trying to command a price and provide value. And maybe we can talk about this another time, because when you do that, then the, that can't be the first thing you go to, which is cut your price. If you're a value provider. I love it. Yeah. So let's talk back to the team and, and growing more revenue. How do you maximize your team? How do you, how do you get everything working on all cylinders? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I'll preface the answer with, uh, I am a firm believer in the development of people. So if you want to grow your business, grow your people. I, I think I've told you that on other podcasts because investing in your people is how you're going to be able to grow. That being said, a lot of times you look at your bottom 10 to 20% of your sales force. And if they can't sell during good times, they can't necessarily sell during bad times. And I know that's a little bit of a, a Debbie Downer, if you will, but th there's a reality in there that if they can't sell, then they can't sell now. There is an opportunity to gain revenue when by adding sales professionals, there's a lot of great salespeople that are going hungry right now that are willing to work mm -hmm. in those. And, and so usually what I tell businesses is to have a very robust recruitment strategy and a pipeline, not only of business, but a pipeline of people and sales professionals that are ready to go. Now you're able to go in there and say, here, let me tell you my story. Here's what we're doing. Because there are studies that will back up the fact that if you introduce new people, or you introduce a new product, right? So you, you decide that you can solve a different problem. There, that excitement level can garner you new revenue right away. And so focusing on having those right people. But I want to be positive on this, Ron. I'll give you, I'll give your listeners uh, 
some sales tips, some things that I think about real quick when you're trying to generate revenue and grow, grow your team in a time like this. So one of the things that I, I tell businesses is become narrow, become narrow. So the riches are in the niches. We talk about that all the time, but the difference is instead of taking a hundred prospects right now and calling each one of them five times, trying to, trying to get something going, what I'm recommending is take 20 of them and call them 15 to 20 times. I mean, just beat them down until they talk to you, right? <laughs> and I know that seems counterintuitive to some people, but the reality is you have to go after it and say, I'm hungry right now and I'm here to solve a problem. So the first thing is be narrow. The second thing is be visible. You gotta be out telling your salespeople or you, look, 60% of the day I need to be in some type of revenue generation or more. Some businesses, that might be 70 or 80%. The other thing, Ron, is to huddle around your salespeople and find out what are they hearing out there so that you can get together and collaborate, you know, on, on some, some ideas around how maybe you can solve a particular problem, especially if you're a business like in, the, in your world, cybersecurity, maybe you deal, let's say, with banks. Well, you would want all of your salespeople, what, what are the banks telling you and acquire that information? And now you can have a strategy. The last thing that I would tell you is that you wanna to try to take a look at your competitors and see if you can identify their second tier clients. This is a powerful strategy for your listeners because that second tier client in a crisis sometimes gets forgotten about. And that second tier client of theirs that is growing will be an ideal customer for you down the road. And so if you treat them with care, I used to tell my bankers back when I was in the banking world, I, the best time to pick off a client from another, from an incumbent bank is on year one, because usually in banking, there's usually an annual type renewal. So visit with that person eight months before, see when they made that move and see if they're really happy with it. And most of the time, 30% of the time, they're not. Great time to pick them off. So in your world, maybe they signed two year contracts at 16 months, that's when you need to start talking to them. Like, were you happy with the move? You know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. That's, that's one great time. The second time is the long time clients, which will surprise people when I say that, but the long time clients are usually the firm starts to get complacent for them. They start to take advantage of them. The salesperson that brought them in years ago, Ron, isn't there anymore. Right. And so now there's a great opportunity to steal those great clients and grow some revenue. Some of my biggest clients I've uh, gotten almost with no effort at all because I just walked in at the right time. They were so dissatisfied with who they'd been using. Uh, I, I remember one in particular, they'd used them for years. They hadn't been able to, to talk to the same person twice. The original salesperson, no longer there. And yeah. um, <laughs> they couldn't get anything out of them except a bill every month. So, That's right. I want to take one moment when we come back. I want to uh, I want to pick up on that uh, look at uh, looking at your competitors, identifying second tier clients. Let's pick up there, but we need to take a quick break. Um, you're listening to Ron Bush with Ron Bush Consulting. We're an information security uh, consultancy. Uh, you might check out our book uh, or my book, uh, uh, "Staying Safe in a Very Dangerous World." Um, it's an excellent book. It's available on Amazon, either in paper or for the Kindle. Um, check out Larry Young, who's with us today. 
His book, uh, Walking the Sales Plank, is an excellent resource. I've used it. And in fact, we talked about it early on. I think the first time you were on, we were talking about that book. That's right. Um, it's, an, it's an excellent book. Check us out on a regular basis. The Information Playground is available on YouTube video or on as a podcast on any of the podcast platforms. And of course, you can listen to us on WVLP. So that said, um, Larry, let's pick up with how do you identify your second tier client? Let's get into that. Let's talk about that more. I find that exciting. And uh, you saw me taking notes. Um, I'm going to continue taking notes. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the... Um a lot of that happens <clears throat> as you're going through your business development process. So it depends because again, there's a diversity of your audience in here. You'll typically know, uh, like in banking, it was, it was easy because, because you, you have your top tier clients. And if you're out, like I would say that the salespeople should be out 60 to 70% of the time un, uh, turning over rocks. And you start to figure out over time who those those great clients are after you get into those conversations and then who they bank with. Same with you, who does their cybersecurity, who does this, anybody can do this. But it's really the work run becomes the database, the database. And you can start to, when you've been in a, a certain business for a long time, you can start to categorize who the players are that you wanna work with, you wanna do your consulting with, or you wanna sell to, and you know who those top tier are. But then when I say bottom tier, all I'm saying is that they may not generate as much revenue for that firm. So they got all hands on deck. They're focused on retaining their biggest clients of all. And then there's that second tier. So the only way you really know that is through having a consistent business development process where you're identifying those targets and whatnot. I think you and I talked about it offline one time that really by and large, and studies back this up, that you really only have about 200 to maybe 500 ideal clients, like in the business to business space. There's really only, you know, and some of those are smaller markets when you're thinking about, you know, the, the fortune 500 or the big whatever. But at the end of the day, it's easy to start to identify those and know where those tiers are and then call on them. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, any other quick hits that uh, we as owners can do to find revenue? Yeah, there's a, uh, there, there's, there's a number of things. I mean, you can think about getting revenue or generating cash. You know, you can think about extending your payables, you know, the terms on, on when you owe things. You can possibly try to maybe uh, not necessarily give discounts, but maybe incentivize, throw in, like I said, a free warranty if they pay within 30 days instead of 60. You can start to generate cash. There's... um. We're probably at the end of it, but there was the PPP program, you know, being able to kind of go after those dollars, which who knows where that's going to be now. Selling idle assets is a way to generate cash. So there are things laying around, machinery, equipment that you don't need. Sometimes there's a downside to that, but those are ideas. Maybe joining with a complementary business, you know, um, to create economies of skill. Maybe I sell candy and you sell flowers and maybe we can somehow work together. I mean, there's all sorts of those types of things, but kind of look at maybe suppliers or vendors or maybe complementary businesses and start talking about how can we maybe work together. And that's usually a, a way that you can start to maybe garner some quick revenue, things of that that's, nature. Yeah. That's excellent. So um, how do you protect your, your competitors? How do you protect from competitors taking your customers away 
when they're slashing your their products to survive. Yeah. Now you're going to get me excited. I love this. Uh, I lo- <laughs> that's a great question. Um, okay, so when you when you think about you know one of the fastest ways to grow or maintain revenue is to not lose revenue. So I'll take you back to the idea of you have your core clients, you know, that generate the revenue, you know what you're good at, and you're able to meet those needs. <clears throat> and so really taking the time to focus on those. And really what we want to make sure that they do is they understand, Ron, that you're doing a good job for them. So I'll give you a really good example. In fact, I'll tell you, in fact, before I do that, the strategy that I employed years ago, I use this with my sales team. So I was in the highly competitive world of commercial banking. So all of my customers, by and large, were commercial businesses, as I mentioned at the onset. Extremely competitive industry. So, uh, you know, in the town I'm in right now, there's probably 65, 70 other banks, and all of those banks want some of my dream clients. And so they're always willing to go out there and either slash a price or give something away or that type of thing. And so retention is a big piece. So something I'll share with your listeners is, is a powerful tool. It's a very simple tool. But I started to implement what I call the value scorecard. So the value scorecard is designed to tell my dream clients how I'm doing for those. I'll give you a, a funny example, if you don't mind. So I moved to Phoenix. You know, This is six, seven years ago. And my wife and I buy this house. And of course, in Phoenix, as you know, which is different from the Midwest where I came from, you got to have a pest company at all times. So I buy the house and I have this pest company come out and they spray and and it's, it's kind of gross, but the next day, Ron, it's bug Armageddon, right? (laughs) I mean, literally have to sweep and scoop the bugs because the house had been sitting idle for, for some particular time. And so they come out the next month and they spray. And of course, there's fewer bugs in the third or fourth month. There's nothing, right? There's, uh-huh. there's no bugs. Now, this pest company, um, they, they were great on a number of levels, customer service and their payment portal. And of course, the results, that type of thing. So now I'm sitting there and I got people knocking on my door all the time, right? On every Saturday, boom, boom, boom where I'm with this pest company, we can cut your rates, we can do it cheaper. They tell me how they got some type of immersion program or something that's better. Uh And I stayed loyal to them, right? And I stayed loyal to these guys. About seven months in, now all of a sudden, I'm sitting there going, well, I wonder if I am getting a good deal. So the guy gets done spraying and and, uh, he goes, do you have any other problems? I said, honestly, I haven't seen any bugs since month two. Because I'm thinking maybe I'm getting ripped off, like I'm paying this money, you know, and am I really getting anything because I don't see anything. Uh And he looks at me and he says, then we're doing our job. (laughs) And it stopped me. It stopped me in my tracks. It's a funny story. It's a simple story. But where it applies to all of us is that there's a lot of us out there that take a lot of pride, let's say, in great service, you know, and, and attention, like you said, caring about clients and that type of stuff. But sometimes we do, frankly, we do such a great job that sometimes they just forget we're doing a great job, right? There's no, quote, bugs Uh anymore because you're making all their problems go away. So I came up with this idea, this value scorecard years ago, and it really comes based off kind of that stories, if you will. But the idea is that you're telling your clients what you did for them, your top, and you can do this on your top 10, top 20 clients or top 20%, but sending them on an annual basis, just a short letter, just less than a page long, nothing long, that just outlines the general things you did for them. 
not necessarily like an attorney where I'm saying, well, I sent you an email on this day or, you know, I'm joking, but, you, but, but what, you're, what you're doing is you're just saying, here's the major things that I do. And, and not being afraid to mention the things in which you created the most value. So not just the work you did, it could be a synopsis, but here's the things you came through. If we got time, I'll, I'll share with you a short story to make the point. So I, so I do, in the, in the work I do with it, you know, as we both do, which we do public speaking and workshops and things, you and I have a lot of printing. So I found this printing company in Mesa, Arizona called Market Builders, and they do an incredible job. Keith Lawson is the owner, and, and he's done all of my printing. So I come up on this event last fall where all of a sudden I realized about three days before the event that I needed something that I didn't have. So I get on the phone and I call Keith. I said, Keith, can you come through for me? And it was one of those calls, Ron, where he goes, yes, but I know in his mind, he was figuring out how the heck am I going to pull this off for Larry, right? <laughs> and I'm not even a top 10 client. He just, that's just the guy he is. Well, anyways, he came through at the great work that, you know, Keith expects. That would be something, Ron, that if your, if your business strategy is to tell your clients that we turn things around and of quality, that would be a great synopsis. It's just a reminder, you know, on September 3rd, we finished this project, three-day turnaround, three-day emergency turnaround for this particular event. He's not bragging. He's just letting me know because here's why. Keith did a great job, but fast forward a year from now, year and a half from now, is it plausible that I could start to forget that? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so I, I tell people, and we did this all the time, I do it now in my business, you need to have a value scorecard and remind your clients on an annual basis the exceptional value. And that can be whatever you define that is. And that will keep you from getting picked off. So just like the pest company, when your competitors come knocking, it's going to be more top of mind. That's great. I love the story. And honestly, it takes me back, not to the business I do now, and don't ask me why I didn't carry it through. But in a previous business that I owned, on an annual basis, I would meet with all of my clients, take them to lunch, whatever they'd let me do. Sometimes it was in their office, but I always preferred getting them out, um, especially the larger clients, because the phone doesn't stop ringing and the you know, people coming into right. the office doesn't stop. So I love getting them out. And I had a, just a real short questionnaire. And I, it, it was basically, um, how are we doing? Have we, is there anything that, that we haven't done that we should be doing? What, what are we doing that we could improve on? Are there any yeah. problems? I mean, I own the company. I had 30 employees, 33 in some, uh, some of the time. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes we made mistakes. I always yeah. made sure that, that in the event we did make a mistake, my employee didn't go out and tell them that. I did. First yeah. off, I figured if anybody's going to take a beating, it'd be me. But second off, I wanted them to know that I had the authority to fix it. An employee didn't. I right. could fix it. I would take care of it, and I would make sure it got taken care of then. That once a year thing was just, I mean, I did it because I wanted to know. I was new in that industry, um, and this is going back 20 years, but I, I, I wanted to be sure I was doing everything right. Yeah. And if, if anybody had any, any complaints, well, I didn't want them telling my competitor. I wanted them telling me. Right. And so um, it worked like a charm. I wish I had uh, 
I had known you back then. I would have, <laughs> I would have done it a little different. And I'm going to employ that now. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask yeah. me why I forgot about it when I started yeah. another business, but I did. Uh, you know, one of the exactly things, Ron, I would, I would throw out there when I forgot to mention is typically on the bottom of that form, you know, I, I would put something like, tell me, you know, tell me how I can provide more value for you in the upcoming year. Or, you know, tell me how I can, I, I can do a better job. So it, it became more of, you know, to them, here's the value that I, that I believe that I created. How could I do more for you? So the consciousness of your, of your, of your customer is this person is always trying to create value. And then I just have at the bottom, you know, just scan and email this to, to me so that I could really start to then focus on the value added activities. And that's how you keep them from picking them off. I can tell you in, oh gosh, 20, almost 20, not 20, but probably 12 years of the commercial banking piece of it, it would be hard for me, Ron, to find a name of a client that really got picked off yeah. in all those years, which is incredible in that world. And I owe a lot of it to that idea that whether you sit down with them and cover the document or you mail it, that's all up to your individual yeah. preference. But I, it makes a big deal because it also shows you care. Well, today I'm nationwide, so it only makes sense to email it. Back then it was yeah. all local and it made yeah. sense to, yeah. to take them out. Uh, boy, I love that idea. That is, uh, that is just excellent. So, so we've talked about how to keep the comp competition from getting to our clients. Once we grow the higher margin revenue from what we discussed, does this help us for the next recession? Yeah. Yeah, it, it does, Ron. What, what we're, so when I do the business development strategy, <clears throat> what our real goal is, is, is to help businesses not to necessarily say that they're the best in the industry. It's really to help them become the most profitable in the industry. So being best or the greatest or number one is all kind of a, uh, it's, it's a number made up, you know, um, and how do you really define that? And so really thinking about if, if it's your business, how do you become the most profitable in the industry by serving and taking care of your clients. What you do with that profit is what dictates your ability to be able to survive or take the, the initial wave of the next recession. So what is it that you do to improve, let's say as a business owner, your balance sheet? So when I talk to business, a lot of times they think about revenue, which is ironic. That's what we're talking about today, but right. revenue, profitability, and those types of things. But then how does that translate and what do you do with on your balance sheet? Do you, do you pay off your debt? Do you, do you uh, increase your liquidity? Do you continue to improve your margins? Those types of things. Because what it does for you is that when your position and your balance sheet is strong, your cash flow is strong. So those three statements, what it allows you to be able to do is seize opportunities in a recession than, than, uh, than others can't. I think we might have not joked last time, but we talked about how Warren Buffett would say, you know, the time to buy is when there's blood in the streets, you know, and I know that's, I know that's kind of sad to say because people are hurting right now, but it does allow you the, the decisions that you make and hopefully you have a financial counselor or a banker or somebody that helps you decide and helps you guide with that. How do you strengthen that balance sheet? Because there's nothing better than having that cash and that liquidity or those free and clear idle assets to be able to help you survive during this time, rather than like we were talking earlier, have to lay off people either at all or so quick. And so that's what helps you to survive. That also, Ron, the reason that we 
I, I, we do that in the in, with with clients is because what we're trying to do is then use that to position for massive growth. Because now all of a sudden I have cash, and so I can take advantage of an opportunity, and all of a sudden that becomes a whole new business line for me. And that's really where there is a saying and not a saying, but you kind of a philosophy back when I was in the banking world that the decisions that you make in great times is what helps you through the bad times. The decisions that you make in bad times is what fuels the massive growth for the good times. And that's really kind of where my thought lies on that. Well said. Well said. So you and I have talked uh, prior to recording, um, and we've just got a few minutes left. Okay. We've been talking about a, a three-part series. The next time we get together, we'll be, we'll be starting Defining the Sound of Your Dream Client's Voice. I yeah. love the title. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about it. Tell me what you have in mind. <clears throat> yeah, that one, that's, that I'm excited. I'm glad we came up with three-part because sometimes when you do these for an hour, believe it or not, you push so much in that I don't know that, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to take some notes and, and whatnot, but the, the, uh, where, where we want to go with this series is really understanding what your clients or your dream clients are saying today. So what we focus on is we help clients to find their voice. So what is it that we're really good at? What is it that, 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 that kind of that core piece that we were talking about earlier? And then really then going out and finding the dream client that cares about that. So as a quick example, if I say, well, I'm so great at customer service, but for some goofy reason, my clients don't care, then I really can't produce higher margin revenue because I can't combine the value. So the whole idea is aligning that value along with that voice. Mm -hmm. And then in the next part of the series, we really want to focus on then how do I position my organization and my sales force in the middle of that target market so that we really start to get a sense. So they're playing in the field, if you follow me, in which their clients care about what they're offering and they have something that they can offer them that they dominate. And then the third part is really then looking at, do I have the processes in place, Ron, to then be able to facilitate that? So as a quick example, you use Walmart, but if I decided I was gonna be a low cost provider, if that's my business model, does the value chain that I have and where I get my supplies and those types of things, is that conducive for that? So it'll build on each of those, those steps and it'll help your listeners that are business owners to kind of position themselves for that high margin revenue growth. So the point of it is, I'm gonna share with them some deep stuff that I share in workshops and some of the strategic business, strategic planning. I'm going to share that with your listeners over this three-part series. Great. Well, I'll be looking forward to it. I trust our listeners will be looking forward to it as well. I want to thank you for being on the program today. Always a pleasure. And I always learn something. You catch me taking notes over here. Um, folks, thank you for being with us. I hope you've learned something. Larry's an excellent teacher. He's an excellent speaker. I've heard him speak. And, uh, and I'm always grateful when you're on the program. So Larry Young, uh, author of Walking the Sales Plank, uh, owner of uh, Boiling... Boiling Frog Development. Thank you very much. That's Boiling right. Frog Development. <laughs> Just went blank. Um, I, I, how can people uh, look you up? It's, uh, give us the website. Yeah, easy enough. Uh, boilingfrogdevelopment.com. I made that easy. 
uh, Boiling Frog out on Facebook is easy to message me, or you can email me at boilingfrogdevelopment at gmail.com. And that's the easiest way to reach. And I give just conversations with people for nothing to kind of see where we want to go and, um, and see if some of those things that we talked about might be a fit for them. So thank you for having me on, Ron. Thank you for being on. I'm Ron Bush, Ron Bush Consulting. You've been listening to the Information Playground. If you've got thoughts or questions about the program, email me, ron at ronbushconsulting.com. Check out our website. Check out my book on uh, Amazon, Staying Safe in a Very Dangerous World. Uh, hope you have a great week. Stay safe and stay healthy.